We have just finished, and I say uh, a little bit of a boo-hoo to our um, Better Together sermon series. We, we, I just felt like that was so fun. Five weeks of talking about what it means to be united together in Christ and how Jesus has joined us uh, together. And, and, and our affinity is not, you know, like we all love knitting or we all love Lord of the Rings or we all love bicycling or whatever it is. No, our affinity is something that is so much deeper. It's the, it's the blood of Jesus. Now, here's the challenge. That as a church, what we're not supposed to do is go, oh, that was a great five weeks, and then we just kind of forget about all those things that God encouraged us in. No, what we're meant to do is take those things as we continue as a church to grow and to look more like who Jesus has called us to be. And so what we're doing today is we are going to jump back in to the book of Luke. We took a little break for five weeks. We're going systematically through Luke, and now we're going to jump back in. So you guys ready to get back into the book of Luke? Yes. All right. So here's the thing. Normally, uh, when we go through a book of like, especially a gospel, we try to plan it out. So like the seasons line up and the holidays line up. And today we're going to start looking at, if you don't remember, let me try to recap for us the book of Luke in like 20 seconds. You ready? All right, here we go. Book of Luke, we see Jesus comes into the world. Jesus is the Messiah, and he gathers to himself disciples. And you'll see over and over and over and over again, Jesus having interactions with people, and he's explaining to them what the kingdom of God is and what it's like and how we fit into that kingdom. And you'll see Jesus calls to himself 12 disciples Those 12 disciples are trying to figure out really the identity of who Jesus is and their own identity, who they fit in to be in the kingdom of God. And so what we are meant to do as a church is we're supposed to look at these characters, we're supposed to look at the the, the person of Jesus and the gospel overarching and say, how am I to reflect and how am I to learn and how am I to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? And so that, if you call yourself a Christian, Uh, A synonymous word for Christian is a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple of Jesus is always asking themselves, what does it mean to follow Jesus? That means I make him Lord, I make him Savior of my life. Whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus does, I say, yes, I will do that too, no matter the cost. And you'll see over and over and over again these stories where Jesus has these interactions with people who say, I want to follow you. And he says, okay, this is what it's going to cost. This is what it means to follow me. And sometimes people responded really well. They're like, yes, I'm all in. I'm going to do that. And sometimes they did really well. They stumble. We'll see again. We're going to see part of that here. And then sometimes the Bible says they went away sad because the things that Jesus said seemed harsh. And the bar seemed really high for them. And they're like, I'm not willing to lay my life down to follow Jesus, and they would turn and they would give themselves back to their own selfish desires. And we're meant to learn from that as disciples of Jesus say, what are the things in our lives that are stopping or hindering or that we are choosing to do over the things that Jesus has called us to do? And you'll see this over and over and over again. And now what we're getting to is in this process of Jesus making disciples and teaching them what it means to be a disciple, Jesus has always kind of slowly walking toward Jerusalem. Why is he walking toward Jerusalem? Well, if you know the story at all, he's walking toward Jerusalem to be crucified. 
He's going there to die on the cross. And he's going there to die on the cross, not just so he could be a victim and a martyr, and so we could all go, oh, how sad that is. No, Jesus is on purpose with intention, with everything inside of him. He's marching toward Jerusalem to sacrifice himself for our sins. See, what he's doing is he knows that the only way that you and I can be disciples of Jesus with power and be disciples of Jesus in right standing with God the Father is if there is a healing of this relationship. And this healing of the relationship between us and God can only be done if someone dies for it, if someone sheds their blood for it. And looking around, God knows that there's no human who can do this, and so God himself becomes flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, subjects himself to all of these things. And so Jesus, fully God, fully man, teaching people how to be disciples, starts walking toward Jerusalem to be crucified. And today we're going to see a portion of scripture that normally what we do is we kind of reserve church calendar-wise toward an Easter time of the year when we start to see it's starting to get real. It's starting to, we're starting to see the, the implications of Jesus giving his life for us. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. All right, you guys ready to get into it? All right, that was more than 20 seconds, but it's all right. So what we're going to see today is uh, a disciple, his name is Peter, and you'll see if it says the word Simon, don't get confused because um, his name was Simon until Jesus changed his name because Jesus changes his name because he now has a new identity in Christ. And so he's, he's, sometimes the Bible will call him Simon and sometimes it will call him Peter. It's the same person. But what we're going to see today is, I would say, the reconstruction of Peter's faith. So, so popular right now. I don't know if you're, you look at uh, the news or there are tons of people who have called themselves Christians for years and now there's the, we're using this word called deconstructionism, where they're starting to doubt their faith, where they're starting to say, man, I put my hope, I put my faith in the systems of the church, and it let me down. And so therefore, because these systems in the church have let me down, I'm not sure if I believe in God anymore, at least the God that I was taught. And so what we're going to see today is a little bit of that in Peter's life, but we're going to see also the grace and the glory of the gospel being applied to Peter when he starts to go through doubt and how Jesus redeems him. And our encouragement today is, Lord, help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. So before we dive into the scripture, let me pray for us, and then we'll get going. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive We thank you that it is active. We thank you that it is not a historical document, but that it has meaning, it has power, it has purpose. And so we who this morning, if we call ourselves Christians, disciples of you, Jesus, will you allow your word to have its power in our lives? Will you, Holy Spirit, help us today to see that we're living in a way that is contrary to your word? And will you, by your Holy Spirit, empower us to make those changes? Will you help us, God, this morning to do what you've called us to do, to be who you've called us to be? Will you encourage us this morning as your people? Will, if if there's been a deflating 
or uh, of our faith, or there's been a discouragement in our health, or uh, circumstances have spoken to us and say, no, 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 you, you can't put all of your hope in God. God, will you come this morning and lift our eyes off of our circumstances? Will you come this morning and encourage your people to the great work that you've set before us? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 22. And I'm going to give us some points that I want us to to see here this morning that are going to help us understand this deconstruction and also reconstruction uh, that we see in the life of Peter. And before we read this, I just want to say this. And number one, the point is that greatness isn't uh, machismo. You ever heard that word, machismo, machismo? You know what that means? It's like you think you're 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 strong. You're 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 the you're the dude to be able to take this. You have power within yourself. You're gonna bow up on everybody and show yourself and prove yourself. It's like um, I don't know if you've seen these on like Instagram or Facebook. These little videos where there's two men and they're facing each other, and they have a slap contest. I mean, have you seen that? And it's these two huge guys that get up and they face each other and they're wearing mouth guards. And they literally, I mean, it used to be arm wrestling, and it's now it's like, how far can we take this? So now it is slap contest. And the only rules, I think, is that you're not allowed to make a fist. But other than that, you can reach back as far as you want, and you could slap this dude, and you're supposed to get a square on the face. And then, you know, these guys are like trying to hold their, you know, their ground, and sometimes it's the little guy who gets the big slap in there, and this big dude just falls down. Well, that's machismo. That's this like understanding that if I am great, if I am strong, I'm going to be able to take this slap. But what we're going to see here in Scripture is that greatness isn't necessarily us being strong physically or even mentally, but it's something else. So this is what the Bible says. And uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 27. So just to set the context here, the disciples are with Jesus, and they're all arguing about who's better. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if we this morning got together and we all were sitting around in a circle and we started talking about who's the best? That would be so weird. I don't, it's like so, what is wrong with these guys, right? And so this is what happens in verse 27. Jesus hears this and he starts speaking to him. He says, for who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? And that seems like, yeah, it's obvious, the one who reclines because the guy getting served should be the better one. It is not the one who reclines, is it, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have strayed, stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table uh, in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So for these guys who are all excited about being the dudes next to Jesus, they're hearing this and they're like, this is going to be amazing. We're going to sit like a bunch of elders around a throne. We're going to be able to judge everybody. Yeah, tell us, Jesus, this is amazing. Verse 11, or 31, sorry, I don't know why I said 11. 31, Simon, Simon, or Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. You ever have anybody kind of like, man, I'm your best friend. I'll stick with you no matter what, right? 
Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Man, intense. So here we have the disciples all arguing about who's the greatest. And in the midst of this, G, or Peter in his machismo, Peter in his robust, he's the slap champion, right? He's the guy who's taken it on the chin so many times and he's withheld, withheld it. And he tells Jesus, Jesus, I'll go to prison for you. I'll even die for you. And I never read this before in the context of the disciples all arguing about who's the best, who's the greatest. And it dawned on me this week as I read this, I think there's a bit of Peter trying to prove and show Jesus, actually, I'm going to be the best. I know we've been all arguing about it, but let me tell you, Jesus, I'm the best. I'm the best. You know how much I'm the best? I'm the best so much that I'll go to prison for you. I'm the best so much that I'll even die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't even understand what's happening here. See, Satan has come to me, and he wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed that you won't fall aside. And actually, by the way, Peter, what's going to happen is you're going to deny me three times, and then a rooster's going to crow. Could you imagine Peter feeling off his rocker here, uh, like the rug has been pulled out from underneath him, and like, what is happening? Jesus, I'm trying to show you my strength. I'm trying to show you how powerful I am. I'm trying to show you I'm the slap champion among all the other disciples. And I think for us, friends, the application is we do the same thing, I think. If you think about your walk with Jesus, how much of your walk with Jesus do you rely on the power of someone else? namely being the power of the Holy Spirit? Or how much do you actually rely on your own strength and your own power and your own machismo? If someone comes up to you and says, you're not a follower of Jesus, you bow up. You know, I see this on Facebook. I see some of you guys, you know, getting into these little, like, nonsensical, just don't, pack, uh, what does the Bible say? Don't cast your pearls among swine. I would encourage you guys Facebook arguments are a dead end. And while it's so like tempting to go, no, you're the stupid person. <laughs> it just doesn't gain anything. And that's, I mean, you can think about in your faith, are we called to follow Jesus out of our own strength and of our own power? No, we're not. See, this whole thing of the Christian faith is not based on anything you're able to do. It's actually based on the fact that you can't do it in your own strength. It's actually based on the fact that you have no power to save yourself or to keep yourself saved. It's based on the fact that only Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit comes and encourages you and gives you the tools in your tool belt to be able to do what you've been called to do. It's an impossible task. So why, disciples, why, Southlands Chino, are we trying to do this out of our own machismo? Do we have something to prove? Are we trying to argue with ourselves or with others around us that we're the greatest? That shouldn't be so among us. Jesus even tells them earlier, he says, listen, you guys are all arguing about who's the greatest. It shouldn't be this way of the world. The greatest will say, serve me, and I'll lord over you. It shouldn't be so among you. 
It should be so different that when people look at us, they see an inner strength, but it's not based on us being so awesome, slap champions of the world. It's based on our confidence knowing who we are in Christ. So my encouragement to you this morning, Southlands, where are you putting your strength? Where are you putting your hope? Where, how are you following Jesus? By your own power or by the power of the Holy Spirit? All right. Number two, I want to encourage us, help us to see. We're going to keep reading through the Scriptures. Strength is surrender to the way of Jesus. Strength is actually surrender to the way of Jesus. Let's keep reading Luke chapter 22, and let's pick up in verse 47 through 51. Skip down a little bit. And they're praying, just to fill you in, they're praying here. Jesus is uh, praying in in a garden called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and they're praying, and then all of a sudden... The, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, uh, the Sadducees, they all are getting together. They're really mad at Jesus because he's messing up their system and they want to put him in jail. Actually, they want to kill him. And so now they find him where he's praying and this is what happened. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So Jesus, Judas is betraying Jesus the way he's identifying to the others, this is the guy you want. It's the guy I'm going to come up and I'm going to kiss him. What a sick and twisted way to, to take somebody by, uh, without force. In verse 49, and when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, Shall we strike with the sword? Basically, this is Peter getting crazy here. You'll see in the other Gospels, it's it's him. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Now, if you can put yourself in Peter's place, here's Peter's understanding. He's a disciple of of the Messiah, And in a Jewish mindset, the Messiah was going to be this political power leader who's going to come and rescue the Jewish people from the oppression of especially the Romans. And Peter, aligning himself to be a disciple and to follow this Messiah, he's thinking to himself, this is our moment, this is what's going to happen. I've just declared to the Messiah, my mochismo, I've just declared to him, I'll die for you, I'll go to jail for you, I'll do whatever it takes, and here's the moment, now it's coming. And he's probably a little excited about this moment, because here it is. It's about the Messiah's going to come, we're going to take violence action, and just give me the knife. Tell me, Jesus, when do you want to go? It's go time. Let's do this, right? And all of a sudden, Peter reaches out, strikes the ear of the temple servant. What should have Jesus done? What should have Jesus done? He should have said, let's go, boys. Let's roll, right? He should have said, come on, sons of thunder, James and John, your name's sake, like, let it go. Now is the time. Beast mode. Let's do this. But what does actually Jesus do? He says, stop. Stop this. This is nonsense. This is not why I came. Could you imagine being Peter in this moment? Being utterly confused about what is happening? 
Could you imagine all of the things that you thought the Messiah was and what he stood for and what he was going to do? All of a sudden, he takes a, one, a 180 turn and he's like, and you're like, I just cut the ear off of this guy. Now what? Jesus in his love and his kindness heals this man's ear, tells them to stop. Peter must have been absolutely confounded. Wait a minute. What is happening here? See, this, I think, is the first kind of glimpse that we start to see the deconstruction of Peter's faith. Because if we understand that Peter was putting his hope in a Messiah that was going to be political, if we understand that Peter was putting his hope in this power that was going to come and physically save the nation of Israel instead of spiritually, he's starting to wobble and starting to go, what is happening here? What is going on? I thought all my hope was going to be in this guy and this guy was going to fight and we were going to take the throne and we are going to like... He just said, he just said, you're going to rule and you're going to judge other people. What is happening? I think the deconstruction of Peter's faith is happening. You guys, this is what Scripture tells us. The book of Zechariah says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. We see in the book, if you go to the New Testament, Ephesians It tells about how our wrestle, our fight as disciples, our fight as Christians is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Facebook arguments. It's not even, I mean, the church has got this so wrong sometimes, we even go as far as to bomb abortion clinics, as if this is pushing back the kingdom of darkness. No, this is not how strength is to be revealed as a disciple of Jesus. See, real strength as a disciple of Jesus comes in surrendering our will and our ways to the way of Jesus. Even if it feels contrary to what we think and what we understand, just like Peter did. And so as we might lunge out, as we might say, I'm going to do this in the name of Jesus, hey! we're going to like do the rally cry and we try to strike, we try to put that mean comment on Facebook, Jesus just goes, stop it. This is nonsense. You're fighting against something that cannot be won in the physical. The way that we, friends, the way that we, disciples of Jesus, find our strength is actually upside down in the kingdom of God. It's by us bowing our knee. It's by us surrendering to the way of Jesus. And so when Jesus says something like, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek, but my constitutional rights are being removed from me. Turn the other cheek. But this sin is so great and it's happening and it's personally coming against me. Turn the other cheek. Surrender to me. Why don't we want to do that? Why don't? I think it's because we don't trust in the power and the person of Jesus. I think it's because we want strength to come from our own selves. We want, as if somehow the kingdom of God is going to be advanced by our power alone. No, see friends, the kingdom of God is advanced by us saying, Jesus, what do you want? We'll do whatever you want. We'll surrender. Sometimes that might be standing strong. Sometimes that might be being physically strong. But it does mean always and every time that we surrender to the way and to the will of Jesus, our master, our savior, our Messiah, not a political, not a social, not all these things, spiritual salvation. For every single person, you and me, and we are all now benefactors, beneficiaries 
of that. All right, how you guys doing? You okay? All right, number three, I'm trying to get through this quick. The breaking of our pride is the providence of God. Let me say that again. The breaking of our pride is the providence of God. If we continue looking here, Luke chapter 22, pick back up in verse 54. And this is what it says. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. I don't know man. That's not like our slang man, but... 59, and after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, this is incredible, the rooster crowed. Oh my gosh. You ever have like, that sinking feeling in your stomach when you know you messed up, when you know the other shoe has just fallen, that, that like, that, oh. Now here's, here's the intense part, verse 61. And the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept, and he wept bitterly. And it's like a movie. You read this in this narrative and it's just like, just moments before, Peter's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die for you. I'll go to jail for you. I'll do whatever it takes for you. And it was out of this fleshly confidence. See, friends, I think when we decide to follow Jesus out of the flesh, we're going to be susceptible to the flesh. And if our foundation is on the flesh, it can fall easily because it's based on the flesh. And you see this here. So in one moment, Peter fleshly is passionate about his following of Jesus. And in the next moment, Peter is fleshly passionate about his denying of Jesus. It's, see, it's all based on his own flesh. It's all based on his own power. One moment, he's trying to passionately prove to Jesus that he could do this. And the next moment, he's trying to passionately declare to the people around him, I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. In the other Gospels, it says that he cursed himself. It would almost be like, I effing blah, blah, blah. And we'd go, he's trying to prove a point. And I think, guys, what we have to see here is actually this was the grace of God in Peter's life. Why? Why would you say that, Kelly? Because if his confidence in Jesus was based on the flesh, 
His denial of Jesus was based on the flesh. There had to be something to let Peter see that. There had to be something to let Peter know that his foundation in his faith for the Messiah was based not on this biblical, gospel, like heavenly understanding. It was based on his own impetus. It was based on his own passion. It was based on his own desires. Some of us here might be going through some suffering. Some of us here might be going through some hardships. And you're asking yourself, what in the heck is happening? I would say maybe God is trying to get you to get your eyes off of your own power and your own ability and for you to reach out and cry out and say, God, I need you. God, you're my only hope. God, you're the only thing that will give me sustenance. Instead of saying, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough, I have enough machismo, I'm the slap champion, I've done this before, when hardship comes against me, I know what to do. No, it's surrender. No, it should be the providence of God that we see that he sometimes comes and allows us to be subject to that. See, Peter, Peter said, or Jesus tells Peter, Satan has come to sift you, right? But I've prayed. I think this moment is not necessarily Satan sifting Peter. It's Jesus crushing Peter so that the chaff can blow away and what will be left is the kernel. The thing that will only bring truth. The thing that will only bring life. Jesus told his disciples, he would pick up a piece of grain and he would say, unless this seed dies, it won't be able to bear life. You ever try to do that with like a brand new seed? It's all fresh and green. You try to put it in the ground. What happens? Nothing. You have to like let it sit in the hot sun and wither up and get hard and crack. Why? Because it's only through this death that we actually find life. And it's the same way in Christ. And it was the same way for Peter. It was only from him finding that he needed to surrender and die to his fleshly desires and die to his fleshly machismo that he was able to come and say, now I get it. Now I understand. And you'll see here, he goes away and he's crushed and he's bitterly crying and weeping. I think all of what he thought, his strength and who he was just fell to the wayside. Actually, that was God's grace for Peter. Now, now we're going to see how this is God's grace because now we, got to, we begin to see the reconstruction of Peter's faith. And I want us to jump over to the book of John, which is a other gospel that tells a story. And I, and I like the way that John tells a story about Peter. Now, just before we get into this, let me give some, some context. So, Peter denies Jesus, and what's going to follow up here is Jesus is now going to be marched before the Roman, uh, the Roman rulers, and, and the crowd is going to be yelling, and, and, and Pilate, this guy who's leading the crowd, he's going to say, do you want, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowd is going to yell out, crucify him. And, and, and what's going to happen is Jesus is going to give his life, he's going to go on a cross, he's going to die, but then three days later after he dies... The power of God is going to resurrect Jesus. Jesus himself resurrects himself because he is God. Jesus is resurrected, fully resurrected. And after he is resurrected, he does something amazing. He goes back. He doesn't just disappear and vanish. He comes back and he encourages his disciples. And the, the Bible says that there were three times that he's done this, at least after his resurrection. And he spends moments with them. But here's the thing. He doesn't have an intimate moment with Peter yet. 
He doesn't have this redeeming moment with Peter. And if you were Peter, you were probably feeling like a tail, a dog with a tail between your legs. You're probably feeling super sheepish, like where do I stand relationally with Jesus? I feel like he's giving me the cold shoulder. He's come to us, yes, plural, but he hasn't even talked about the fact that I denied him three times. Do I just pretend like nothing happened? Like I don't know what to do. And then we see in this moment here in the book of John, chapter 21, starting in verse 15, Peter has gone back to fishing. I think it's what he knew what he could do. He's like, man, I screwed up. I guess I'll just go back to being a fisherman. And you see this, when they had finished breakfast, uh, or, sorry, let me just finish the rest of the story. Jesus is on the shore. He's like, has this barbecue. It's really cool. I mean, this would be a moment that I'd want to be a part of. Jesus is, has, it's, the Bible says a charcoal fire. You could just feel it, right? Sitting around, he's barbecued some fish. He has some bread. Peter sees him from a boat where he's fishing. He just impetuously jumps out into the water, swims towards Jesus. And this is what it says, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This was probably awkward. Could you imagine you've denied Jesus and now Jesus is asking you, actually, you deny me, do you love me? Peter's trying to like say, yes, I do love you. But it's not this, I'll die for you! It's this like humble, I've been broken. How dare I? I don't even dare like speak with boldness because, man, I've messed up. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus responds to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What does Jesus say? said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time. Okay, now if it wasn't feeling awkward, and man, I think Jesus is being passive aggressive here, right? He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why is this a redeeming moment for Peter? See, I think Jesus' love for Peter, Jesus knowing who Peter was going to be, he allows Peter to strut his stuff, to be able to show his manhood, try to prove it to Jesus by saying, I'll die, I'll do whatever it takes. And then in his grace, he even warns him, right? I mean, even warns and says, Peter, Peter, just chill out, buddy. Listen, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, whatever. You don't know what you're talking about. And then it happens. And then it dawns on Peter, man, my following of Jesus was based on my own strength. Jesus in his love, he allows Peter to go through this process. He gets risen from the grave. 
he almost, it's as if he waits for this intimate moment, this, this special, this perfect moment. He builds a fire on the beach. He's barbecuing fish. He has bread. It's this like, I mean, the sun, I don't know what the sun was like, but it was probably the golden hour. You know, I don't know. It was just probably like a movie. The music is playing, and Peter and Jesus, they get along, and he have this moment, and then he asks him three times, do you love me? It almost feels passive-aggressive, but it's not. See, what Jesus is doing here is he is entrusting Peter with one of the most beautiful, most powerful things on the face of the earth. Feed my sheep. Teach my disciples. Help people become Christians. And you'll see later, it's arguable that Peter was probably the leader of the, New Test- the first New Testament church. What an honor. What a redemption. What a reversal of now in one moment denying Jesus three times and to becoming and being entrusted three times. And Jesus saying, Peter, I trust you. Do you love me? Then I trust you. Do you love me? Then I trust you. How can you trust me? I don't know if you remember this, but the first time Peter meets Jesus, Jesus tells him, hey, throw your nets over here, right? And he gets all this fish. And Peter, what? He repents and says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. I think the same thing is happening here. Get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Jesus has to bring Peter back to this understanding that your confidence, that the power that you have in being my disciple is not based on your own ability, is based in me. And I'm, now that you get that, I'm going to entrust you to tell others of what it means to follow me. Now, now here's the thing we have to ask ourselves. Is Peter redeemed because Jesus is just a nice guy? Is Peter redeemed in this moment because Jesus just decides willy-nilly to be able to go, well, you know, I know you deny me three times, but because I really like you, Peter, uh, I'm going to give you three more chances. That's not how the story ends. See, what we have to do is we have to go back and we have to see something else that happened three times. If you have, let's end with this. The book of Matthew, chapter 26 And in Matthew's account of where Jesus is praying in the garden before he's about to be arrested and be put on a cross, this is what the Bible says in verse 36 through 44. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Here it is. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink, drink it, your will be done. Verse 43, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again... He went away and prayed for how many times? The third time saying the same words again. Why is this profound, friends? 
See, it wasn't just because Jesus was like this really nice guy and was like, oh, that's okay, Peter, you deny me three times, but I'm going to entrust you with like growing the church and starting this off, and you'll see later in the book of Acts where preaches, Peter preaches and 4,000 people come to Christ, right? And don't worry about all that denying me stuff. Let's just water under the bridge. No. See, Peter finds his redemption in Jesus being rejected. What happens here is Jesus three times goes to the Father. And he says, Father, please. I, I, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to die this way. But nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. And it would seem almost that Scripture says there was a silence. And the second time, Jesus goes to the Father. And he says, Father, this is, this is rough. If there's any other way, if there's any other way, let it be done. But just basically, again, I submit to your will, not my will, but yours be done. And again, I don't know what the Father said, if he said anything, but it seems like Scripture doesn't tell us. It seems silence. And then what? The third time, Jesus goes and he says the same prayer. And it's almost as if Jesus is modeling and marketing for us and for Peter this surrender again over and over to the Father. But he does it to the detriment of his own self. He does it to the point where he goes and he's obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so when Jesus later is resurrected, and Jesus later has this interaction with Peter, and he redeems Peter, it's not because Jesus is just this really nice guy that just redeems everybody. It's because he paid the price for Peter. Three times Peter denies Christ. Three times Jesus is denied. Three times it is over and over. I will not, I won't do this. I will, I'll die, I'll die for you. I'll go to, I'll go to whatever hell and back for you. And three times Jesus actually goes to hell and back. See, it was because of the redemption that Jesus paid for Peter that he was able to say, Peter, I trust you now because you're putting your hope in what I've already paid for you. And for us, friends, it's the same thing. It's the same story over and over again. We'll, we, we can at times try to live our life and we can go out of here and try to be good boys and girls and we try to stand in our own power and we think somehow the three times that Jesus rejected in the garden doesn't apply to our lives, but it does every single day. It does it every single moment and every single time that we're tempted to put our hope and our faith in ourselves and we want to take that first step in our own strength. No, what we're called to do is remember that Jesus was rejected for us even to the point where he was subject to the will of the Father to die a death that you and I deserved. That's called Christianity. That's called if you want any of your faith to be deconstructed, hopefully your faith in yourself has been deconstructed so that you can be reconstructed in the greatness and in the power and in the saving acts that Jesus did for us. Not only in the Garden of Gethsemane, but also on the cross and then his resurrection and now his ascension into heaven where scripture says that Jesus makes intercession for us day and night. Doesn't stop praying for us every time we sin and we go, I'm not worthy. He says, that is true, but I've paid the price for you. You don't have to do this out of your own strength. And that's good news for us this morning. Put your hope, put your faith, and the fact that Jesus paid the price for you.
Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to come and remove some of that machismo in your life today and replace it with surrender and replace it with true strength and replace it with this understanding that Jesus has already paid the price for you today. I hope that God will help you with that this morning. Let's pray together. Will you stand?